This podcast is sponsored by Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort, but most importantly, your snacks. Deuter is known for fit, comfort, and ventilation. Stay tuned for a new line of women's climbing packs coming out any day. I can't tell you which one, but stay tuned for more about Gravity SL line made by women for women. Deuter has a history of first ascents and alpine routes. Their head of product development even climbed Everest once in jeans. Hashtag not fake news. Founded in 1898, Deuter believes in good fitting backpacks so you can focus on way cooler things like puppies, pocket bacon, and getting sendy, whether at the crag or in the alpine. We're working with BetterHelp to connect you to licensed therapists because even though my advice and opinions are free, I am improvising the whole thing. BetterHelp lets you message a licensed therapist day or night. They'll match you with the perfect therapist for a fraction of the cost of traditional therapy. You know who goes to therapy? Prince Harry, Emma Stone, Jenny Slate, Kesha. Therapy is beautiful. Everyone should go to therapy. Go to betterhelp.com slash climbing to sign up and receive one free week. It helps support the show and it helps support you. This podcast gets support from Gnarly Nutrition, one of the leading protein supplements that tastes way better than they need to because they use quality natural ingredients. So whether you're a working mom who runs circles around your kids on weekends or an unprofessional climber trying to send that 513 in the gym, Gnarly Nutrition has all of your recovery needs. The only question you need to ask yourself is, are you a sucker for anything that tastes like chocolate ice cream? Yeah, me neither. Gnarly Nutrition is designed to enhance your progress. And tastes like a milkshake without all the crap. Have you ever cut an exterior hole in your van? Me neither. Building out a van can be hard work, not to mention that table saws have a funny way of leaving you with fewer fingers than you started with. We'll ask Tommy Caldwell all about it when he returns my emails. I really can't be trusted with power tools since a drywall incident in 2005, but Mark and Anthony can. Roaming Ingenuity is a team of outdoor enthusiasts and tinkerers based out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Whether you are looking for a custom van build or just need a little help with installing a roof vent, they can help. P.S. I never actually emailed Tommy Caldwell. Every step of this till now, it's all new. I mean, like working with another facility, that's new. I've never done that before. This is the first time we'll figure it out. I was definitely pretty anxious about the break in delivery service from my kitchen shutdown because we never missed a delivery since we started. No matter what was going on, didn't matter the weather, the staff, someone was sick, we always delivered.
Santizo is one of 185 small business owners from bakers to chocolatiers who work out of the 200,000 square foot shared commercial kitchen. But now she and other tenants can't fill their orders. Many of these startups say they're still scrambling to find a new workspace and this could put some out of business. Others worry about the ripple effect this closure will have on the entire local food industry. In Bushwick, Brooklyn, Natalie Dudridge, CBS2 News. So, like, obviously that hurt really bad to feel like I was unreliable to people or they were expecting something that they didn't get. My accounts have been, like, massively understanding. It's been so nice and really reaffirmed to me the type of people that I work with because I do know a lot of other small food producers that sell to bigger companies. And not that size is a problem. You know, you look at, like, Newman's Own. That's an amazing company that's a big company. Patagonia, I think their hearts are, like, totally in the right places. So it's not about a size thing. It's about an intent like the intention of the company. And so I'm just always trying to be aware of what our intentions are, how we're getting bigger. And so, you know, I hope that I can just kind of keep that guideline there. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's like kind of crazy that it's just that. Like it's just banana bread. Okay, so if you're wondering what banana bread has to do with rock climbing, well, maybe nothing. Maybe everything. Let me back up. Caitlin McCary is a climber and the founder of Dank Brooklyn, a company that she started in 2016 with no prior experience and only $8,000 to her name. But she wasn't always a climber and she didn't always own a banana bread empire. For a decade, Caitlin has worked in corporate fashion and clothing design. She has done everything from factory sewing to selling vintage clothes to designing clothes for puppets. So how do you go from working in corporate fashion for 10 years to banana bread? And again, what does becoming an entrepreneur have to do with climbing? I had all these other business guiding points that I looked at from different reasons. Like one of them is that company Bagu. Emily Sugihara, the founder, and I actually interned together at Parenza Schuler when we were both like in our early 20s. And when I had heard that she started this company, at the time, I'm still working in design. And I was a little bit like, oh, that's, I mean, that's cool that she has her own company, but it's just like a bag. Like I thought that, you know, as a designer, you're like, I'm going to be making all these different garments and people are going to be wearing my clothes. But she just did everything about that in the perfect way. Like it was before everyone and their mom was offering a free tote bag with stuff. It was when people were starting to realize that using plastic bags wasn't a great idea. She made this single item in a bunch of different colors that she could probably source pretty readily. She understood the manufacturing aspect of clothing design and so she could get it done. And because it's dead simple, you don't need to have things in size buckets. And she's expanded the company a million times over since then. But like just having an idea where it was the right time for the market and it was an accessible price point. I mean, like everybody has Bagu stuff. It's so ubiquitous. You see it walking around the city in New York every single day. And to have that much product that you put out there, that's huge. That was one of the companies where I'm like, you just have to keep it really simple because you're not going to be able to afford a lot of stuff at the beginning. And so having it be one item was really the only way that it worked for me. And that only worked because I wasn't a baker. Like I know other bakers who have businesses that are trying to go after the wholesale market. So when they have a sales meeting, someone will be like, oh, well, could you also do like a corn muffin? Or could you also give me like a croissant or something? And they'll say yes, because they want to make the sale. And I would have said yes too, but I couldn't because I didn't know how to do any of that shit. So I was like, oh, banana bread's our specialty. It's really just like the thing that we're best at. And then, you know, 
<laughs> go from there. <laughs> but like having it be so streamlined for me was the only way to make it work because yeah. I wouldn't have been able to juggle the rest of that yeah. stuff. Also, who eats corn muffins? <laughs> well, they're good with chili. <laughs> You're listening to For the Love of Climbing podcast. This is not a climbing podcast. Well, sort of. This is a funny, sad, and somewhat uncomfortable podcast about choosing vulnerability and talking openly about our pain. This podcast is sponsored by Turbike Climbers. Here's the show. Caitlin and I started climbing around the same time when we were both living in Brooklyn, New York. For Caitlin, it was like flipping a switch. She loved every aspect of climbing. She loved being outside and learning new skills. And climbing taught her that she wasn't fully happy unless she was trying new things and being challenged. Caitlin learned how to trad climb in the gunks, which is where she and her partner Casey were on November 15th, the same day as Heidi. I was talking about it with one of my bakers just last week and so somehow that story had come up and we were driving to the train and he asked me like about it he wanted to know more about it if i hadn't minded talking about it and i told him dude this changed everything for me along with a couple other things that happened i had an uncle that summer that passed away super suddenly he's in his late 60s but he was a pilot you know have regular checkups like every six months he was always healthy didn't drink didn't smoke active everything goes to the hospital for chest pains and he died three days later and no one saw that coming it was a really horrible very unexpected situation so those two in the same year it was just like it just made me look at everything in my life because at that time I had been a designer at Nautica for seven years and I was in a relationship about the same amount of time and like, I honestly just wasn't happy with any of it. I wasn't happy at work. I had moved up a lot in the company. I was started out as an assistant designer. And by the time I left, I was the senior wovens designer for the entire international and American divisions. So just kind of a big deal. <laughs> I mean, I had a boss there for the first five years that I just loved. And so that was why it worked for me. She's the person I look at now whenever I'm trying to be a good boss to my employees because she was one of a couple that I've had that are amazing. And so that was really worth it for me because that company is a lot more conservative than I would normally go to but like with her it kind of worked and so there was that but I mean I was even up for the design director position and I went to school for fashion design like I was working in my industry you know my grandfather was a steel mill worker in Pittsburgh and had six kids and would still come home after a 12-hour day and be like present as a father and it's like I feel like I'm being a little bitch I'm working in my field like what else do I want kind of a thing. You know, it was a very corporate company, but I'd worked high end before too. And there's pros and cons to both. And I just didn't know if I was being a baby. I'm like, people would kill for this job. It's safe. I get paid, you know, all the benefits, like whatever. It's great, technically. And then um, my friends over the years have been getting married. You're kind of taught to like assume that you'll get married, not even like expect it or want it, but you just like, it's just something that happens in life. You, at one point you get married, at one point you have kids. And like, I was totally in that track. Like there was one time when I was not not trying to have kids because I was in my late 20s. I'd been with my partner for five or six years at that point. I love kids. I love being around them. And I just think, okay, this is kind of the time in life when you do this thing. And so I wasn't not trying. And it was just luck that I didn't get pregnant then because that year my sister got really ill and moved in with me. And so I helped get her healthy over the next year and a half. And 
having that level of responsibility for another person made me realize that I didn't think that I wanted kids and I would have just done it otherwise. So all these different factors are basically looking at what's expected of you. I had a great job. I had a good person. It just like wasn't working for me. And I had to decide whether or not I felt like those concerns were valid. The experience with Heidi and the gongs and my uncle, I just thought, you know what? They are valid. I'm not happy. It doesn't matter that it looks good to somebody else or that I should feel happy according to someone else. Like, I'm not. Climbing was so integrated in, like, the reasons why I decided to change everything in my life. And everything changed. Heidi Duartes Wall was considered one of the strongest female climbers from Chile, and she was living in New York at the time. She and her partner were starting up the infamous Yellow Wall, a 5'11 Gunks classic, when she took a fatal ground fall on the 5'7 pitch. Heidi wore a helmet that day and took a 20-foot fall that any of us could have easily taken, which is maybe one of the hardest parts of her story to reckon with. This tragic accident affected so many people, as tragic deaths will so often do, but it also did something else. It sparked a change in a complete stranger's life and sent Caitlin on a new path that would change and continue to change her life forever. while we're up on the wall, someone comes running down the trail yelling that there was an accident. And so we simul wrapped off and Casey ran ahead uh, while I pulled the rope because we didn't know where or what had happened. And so we didn't know if we were going to have to climb to someone and get them off the wall. Once I pulled the rope and I started running down the trail, I somehow realized that she was on the ground. So I just ditched everything as I was going. And then we get there and she was getting CPR from one of the rangers. And I knew her partner, not well, but I knew him. And so... They told us all to just stay there and wait because the paramedics were going to come and they were going to need help getting her off the trail because it was up a steep like approach trail that was covered in leaves and everything. And so we waited and it just like really looked bad. I'd never seen an accident before like that and her hand was just paper white. They were doing CPR the entire time, but it just didn't look. I mean, she definitely wasn't conscious, but I couldn't really tell other than that what was going on. And weirdly didn't really feel anything and I, I remember thinking about that just thinking like why am I not freaking out right now this is kind of crazy and so the paramedics get there and we put her on a board and then basically all the hikers and climbers that had gathered around stood shoulder to shoulder and passed it down the trail and then I helped put her in the truck like I remember seeing her harness laying on the ground and it was like in pieces and I was just like did her harness fail like what happened and then I realized they'd cut it off of her in the helmet too and Casey and I went back and all our stuff was still on the wall, so we went up Andrew to the ledge because we had a haul bag, we were practicing hauling and everything, and we hadn't eaten or drank anything since we'd started super early in the morning, and so we sat down for a minute on the ledge, and then I just totally lost it. That was the minute when I was just like, this is what she wanted to be doing right now. You know, you don't even think that it's going to look like what it does. Like, you think about falling when you climb, like, especially when you're learning, it's scary as fuck. And like, you know, even when you're good at it and you're doing a hard climb, like you always think about what the consequences are and you should. It's dangerous. Like there's reasons why people wear helmets and have good partners that they climb with and, you know, all that stuff. But yeah, you just don't think about what the reality of it is going to be. And so 
um, that really like affected me. It still does daily. I mean, I don't think about Heidi every day anymore, but I think about it a lot. Witnessing a traumatic death would make any human contemplate the flickering nature of life, but it's almost a too easy thing to ignore in day-to-day life when we're busy making plans and checking Facebook statuses and thinking about which takeout place to not order from this week so that they don't start to think you can't read a cookbook. A death is considered traumatic if it occurs without warning. That's a pretty broad definition, and we've heard a lot of stories from people about loss and death, but what about grieving the death of someone you didn't know? Caitlin had never met Heidi before, but she had essentially witnessed her last breath of life. While the specific nature of Heidi's death is traumatic by definition, how we process these things will inevitably always come down to how the event is experienced by the individual person. Seemingly, at first, not much in Caitlin's life had actually changed. Big picture, she still went to work every morning, she still lived in Brooklyn, she still ate pizza, and she still had to feed her cat. In between all of those moments, there was still a lot of change happening, even if she didn't know it. But life went on, and Caitlin didn't stop climbing either. Climbing and baking are directly related for her. In the past, she would bake banana bread to use to bribe friends with, that and a little gas money in exchange for rides up to the gunks. It started from like this vegan recipe that my sister had, and I never had all like the right ingredients in the house. So I would just use what I had and like substitute ingredients and just cut certain things out completely, which with baking, you're really not supposed to do that. But I cook for myself a lot and I never bake. So it was just more of that approach of, okay, eyeballing things and like throwing them in a bowl. But everyone always really liked it. Fast forward a couple of years later, when a new guy, Caitlin, had been dating one day suggested that she sell the bread. Caitlin's response no like how what do you i mean i'm a, i have no experience in food ever never waitressed never bartended never worked in, in any food service industry ever and there's like rules for that stuff you know like you can't just like randomly start selling something i'm not like someone who like loves baking it like just gets a whole lot out of it it was more just like i like how this tastes and my friends like it too so like when we don't feel like bringing lunch to climb we'll just eat this instead <laughs> and so like uh, yeah, I never thought about it, even considered it. And then I started freelancing at this other job that my old boss from Nautica had basically like poached me for this company and it was full time for a while, but it was horrible. So I was like, I'll give myself a year here because a year off is like a reasonable amount of time on a resume. And so then in that time, basically the company wasn't doing well. They decided to cut staff. And so I kind of started thinking about the bread because I was like well okay let's pretend that that this is an idea like what would I even call it what would it look like I kind of looked at it from like a visual standpoint just because that's what I knew then I broke up with this guy it was insane like this most traumatic crazy breakup experience ever and I just went into like a hole I didn't want to talk to anybody I wasn't eating properly I lost weight I was just like in this crazy state of mind and that's when I just like I, I think I spent like four days in the house just like I would go to work and I'd come home and I just in four days created the LLC I made a website I did all the graphic work got the whatever initial permits I needed and I just threw myself into work it was just like one of those moments when you're like who cares like why not like why not It was the culmination of everything that had happened in those two years that made Caitlin really and honestly ask herself, why not? It was Heidi, it was climbing. 
And also my mom in the last couple years, and this could be literally its own podcast on its own, <laughs> but like my mom had to start over her life. And she, at the age of 60, went from like volunteering at a food bank to being the garde marger, which is like the chef that's responsible for all the bar items and salads and appetizers at one of the fancier restaurants I've ever been to. She was second guessing her worth and all the stuff, what she brings to the table and her experience. And I was just like, dude, you work on the line with men that are half your age and you're one of their best employees. She ended up getting another job and now she's lead line chef at this other incredibly fancy restaurant. And she did this like at 60. So I was like, if she can figure that out, I think I can, I can try it. <laughs> like, yeah. You don't ever have to stop learning new stuff. You can literally start over whenever you feel like it. <laughs> that was like a really good thing to realize. I've also spent a lot of time thinking about why people stay at jobs that they actively hate for years. And it's fear. And I've asked other bosses, I've asked other people like along the way, just why do you think that that happens? Because I was right there, you know, and um, I was doing that exact thing myself. But it's fear. And so if you can get over being afraid when there's no real danger, then that makes like everything more possible. But I have to say, just so everybody happens to hear this knows, like I don't have kids. I don't have anyone I'm responsible for financially. I don't own my house, I rent. You know, there's all these factors that made it work for me personally. And I do know other business owners that you know, have whole families and have different financial obligations to other things. And, you know, it does change it. doesn't make it impossible. I know tons of people that do that, but I've had a very fast and light approach to it. It just, I am not responsible for much else besides me and my cat. Caitlin told herself that she wasn't going into debt over this. So if she couldn't make it work and make ends meet, that's it. The company's done. But with a little bit of moxie and a lot of grit, she put her head down and got to it. There was a parallel between entrepreneurship and climbing for her. Because climbing has so many parallels to everyday life, Caitlin saw that. Having the experience of learning how to lead mentally prepared her for the challenges of becoming a business owner and a baker. Even things like assessing risk and dealing with fear, climbing taught me so much of that because like you get in situations when you are genuinely scared and you're like, am I scared or am I in danger? Because there's a difference. And if I'm just scared, I can work through it. it. That skill was valuable so many times. Like I learned how to ride a motorcycle when I was in my 30s. I mean, I am in my 30s now, but like that was scary. But I just thought about leading, you know, for the first time. And I remember, you know, taking 30 minutes to build an anchor because I was so freaked out that it wasn't going to work. And you're like, okay, I can learn that. I can figure it out and I can keep myself safe and I can do it here too. And then same thing with the company. It's like just mitigating like fear and like that anxiety response in your body or just dealing, like having it, but just doing it anyway. You know, that has helped me in every aspect of my life. All of that hustle has paid off. The banana bread is now sold in over 40 coffee shops, climbing gyms, and stores in the greater New York City area. Caitlin created a product that people love and a company that gives back to a community that has supported her these past two years. Dank sponsors initiatives such as the New York City Adventure Film Festival, Adaptive Climbing Group, Gunks Apps, Project Girl, and more. Dank may have started as collateral for rides to the Gunks, but it's grown to be so much more than that. It's a community. It's a lifestyle product. 
it's vegan. We sell to uh, 35 places in mostly Brooklyn and Manhattan now, but there is the Cliffs and Queens, which is awesome. Love those guys. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, it started out just walking around and going to coffee shops and giving samples and talking to people. And it's definitely growing all the time. Two of our newest spots are Brooklyn Roasting Company. Five of their shops have the bread and the elk in West Village just picked it up. But we have places like all the little skip stores in Bushwick. They've been around forever and the owners are amazing. They have like a real family for their team. And a lot of my shops are like that, where people work there for years. Most of the time, a good metric for me, if I think the space will do well or not, is if it's a place I genuinely just enjoy being in. If it's a spot where I would hang out and do some work or meet up with a friend for coffee or just go there on my lunch break because it's nice to get out of the office for a minute and be in a good space, that's where I sell too. Yeah, we've been in business since uh, I started the company in January 2016. The first week of sales was uh, the first week of March in 2016. And our first account, uh, yours truly, I cold called them on the very first day I did sales. And actually, the owner, Fabrizio, I, I introduced him to climbing, and he loves it a lot. So <laughs> that's been super cool. I am actually going to do a day where I reach out to my stores and like see if people are interested to start climbing because I've gotten a lot of questions about it from places that I sell to, and people are really interested. One of my bakers wanted to come for sure. One of the managers at Happy Bones is going to come. And uh, I just talked to one of the managers at Say Coffee in Bushwick, and he's interested too. And so like I'm going to put out a couple dates where people can come and then like I can like show them how it works. So <laughs> it's been really cool that there's been like both ways. The climbing community has been like ridiculously supportive of me the entire time. It's been so cool. We love you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's it's really cool to see that the other side of it now, like, because I do have now a community in the food industry. It's so cool that I get to be a part of the New York City coffee scene because I just think there's so many genuinely creative, interesting, hardworking and driven people in that field. So the fact that they're kind of getting interested in climbing has been really cool. I've lived in Brooklyn since I was 18, so I grew up as an adult in the city, and I didn't start climbing until 2011. So like, it's really funny because when we were climbing at Brooklyn Boulders and everyone was learning, and people started going outside and like kind of figuring it out. We are like the babies of the climbing scene because other, you know, cities, this is just what you do. Like everybody tried climbs, everybody's really good at it. There's probably just like the level gets ratcheted up. But the cool thing about the New York community is that I feel like there was like a second wave of it around 2010, 2011. It's super interesting to see how it's developed because even things like all the new gyms opening up, it's super interesting. It's becoming a much more widespread thing. It's really not that much counterculture anymore. It wasn't even when I started. I mean, I'm not kidding myself. It's not like it's the 70s or even earlier, or whatever. <laughs> like those people were so hard, like, you know, but I think that the community on a personal level is really special. I always assumed if I moved somewhere else, that climbing would be like the inn. That's how you meet people, that's how you make friends. And I know people that have moved to, um, you know, Colorado, to Vancouver, to California, and it's they just say it's not the same thing. I do think New York is a transient place. Not that many people are really from there. And so people are just more open to making friends, meeting yeah. people, doing different things. And then when you take that tier of people in that, you know, community that are adventurous and like to take risks and learn new things, it is a really special group of people. So, yeah, I mean, they've been for me from the beginning. 
like the gyms that I sell to, Brooklyn Boulders and the Cliffs, you know, friends at GP81 opening up their new gyms. It's really cool to see how it's progressed over such a short amount of time. You know, it's cool that it's accessible. I love climbing. I love showing people climbing. I love bringing people outdoors for the first time or putting them on their first lead, which I've gotten to do a couple times. And it's always like really cool just to see people learning it. I think it's such a valuable skill set because if you get to the point where you are climbing outside and leading, especially trad, like there's this level of care and consideration that you have to take with doing things the proper way. Like I, I feel like a lot of times, especially within certain age brackets, like nowadays, there's not ever a real sense of consequence with anything because you can undo so many things, you can change so many things. I just think that making a decision and having to really stand behind it and be like, I did this the right way. I'm positive of it because if I didn't, <laughs> something bad's gonna happen. You know, climbing teaches you that, which I, there's not that much else in day-to-day -day normal modern life that will do that. A few years ago, I was really struggling with my writing career. I remember calling Caitlin up and I feel like I'm always calling her when I'm having a crisis or a business question. And she told me that there was a shift once she was able to start identifying herself as a baker. And that carried a lot of weight for me. I stopped thinking of myself as a two-bit hack wannabe. And you know what? She was right. I was a writer as much as I was a climber, as much as she was a baker. Yeah, you don't have to really care what other people see you as. I mean, I, even other people, which is funny, saw me as being a baker because I own a baking company. That seems logical. But yeah, anytime I had thought about my career now being in food service, it would just like stress me out because I just don't know that the way that I knew designing. I worked in that industry for 10 years. Like I know a lot about that field and I knew nothing about my new field. So <laughs> I hope my mom's not listening to this. <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, so this was probably two summers ago and it was such a really difficult time because I had come into working for Dang full time. I had this awesome girl, Camille, who was my first hire, who basically had been like doing the baking for me while I went back to work during the day. Cause at that time we were baking between 2 a.m. and 7 a.m. three nights a week. So you can imagine just like how that throws your entire life off <laughs> like and at the beginning when you have no resources no money everything's hard because you just have to be super scrappy and just like do most of it yourself so that's where I was at and Camille got another job which was super great for her but like she had to stop baking and so I had um, a meeting with my financial advisor and was just like is it okay if I like do this right now like is this a good idea besides on top of all of this I have no money like I'm paying myself like $100 a week. Like I can't go out to a, a bar and buy a single beer with friends. So one of my girlfriends is having a bachelorette party and luckily it was in the city, but they still had this whole itinerary of different things that they wanted to do and all of it costs money. You know, you can explain to people that you're broke, but even if they're your best friends, like unless you've kind of been there recently, it's hard to remember what it's like. And I was totally there myself when I left Nautica. I mean, that's why I would have I would have quit that company like minimum two years earlier but you get comfortable with the money and it's hard to picture cutting back. And I had cut back so hard that like people my age with careers had a hard time really understanding what I meant when I was like, I'm broke. It's not like, oh, I'm broke till I get paid next week. It's like, I'm actually, I don't have money right now. <laughs> so 
at one point in the daytime, I don't know who started talking about doing mushrooms, but people decide they want to do that. We get some. And the part of the night that I was going to do was like this cruise thing. It was like a, you get on a boat, there's a dinner component to it. It was like 80 bucks and the food was horrible. And when, you know, that's what I pay myself in a week. That was a really hard blow. Then we spend like a million hours running around Greenpoint trying to find a bar to go to. I pay the six bucks it costs to get a beer, which is again, you know, this is like literally knife in the heart every time I have to like exchange money that night. And then the minute I get a beer, everyone decides that they don't feel like being there anymore. Even while we're at the bar, at the time I'm single and this guy is chatting with me and he asks if I'm a teacher and I'm like, no, like, why? Like, are you a teacher? And he was like, no, you know, you just look like a teacher. And I'm like, that's not a compliment. Like, what the fuck is going on with this night? You know, I just was like over it. I was over everybody. I was just so like filled with anxiety, stressed and like, whatever. So my girlfriends leave and they were all going to go to one of their houses, but I was like, I need to just go home. I'm like, it's kind of over everything right now. And so uh, I call a cab, of course, more money. There you go. And when I get into the cab, I start to trip a little bit. Okay. I'm like, these mushrooms better kick in because something needs to happen tonight. Like something interesting needs to just like, whatever. So then I get out of the cab at my house and because I'm tripping, I look at my apartment door, almost don't recognize it because it's so ugly and dirty looking and just like horrible. And I'm like, is this where I live? And I walk in <laughs> and like the hallways are like so scuffed and like terrible. And I'm just like, oh my God, I live in a shithole. I have no money. I can't even afford to like go out with my friends for one night. Like, what the fuck? I'm working at night. Like, what, what is wrong with my life right now? And I'm like, in my apartment, same thing. Everything just looks like hideous and I just can't deal with where I'm at in life. <laughs> and so then I just take a shower because I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna like, I'm just gonna like take a shower and hopefully things will like feel better. And while I was in the shower, it started to feel a little better. I don't know, just things kind of seemed like more positive and the bathroom's kind of steamy. And it's so weird because in my memory, I like come out of the shower and it's all steamy and everything's really like clean and sterile, but in like a comforting way, like, you know, like a 1950s hospital where things are still like homey looking, but it's very clean. It's not like hospitals are now. It just felt like, okay, I kind of, realized that if I just kept working, like if I just put my head down and I just kept working like so hard, I'd be able to like work my way out of the situation. That was the first thing. And then the second thing is like, because everything was all clean and white and okay, my bathroom's not white by the way, it's like teal. So like, I don't know where the whiteness <laughs> came in, but like, <laughs> everything was so clean and like nice feeling that I had this feeling of being like reborn into this role of, and for the first time, I'm like, I am a baker. I just need to become a baker. And, <laughs> and so then I go to lay down and it's really getting late. And then after a second, the money part just starts weighing on me again. And I spend the next five hours awake in my bed doing like calculations on my phone calculator of like whether or not I'd be able to make ends meet. <laughs> so it kind of like took another turn, but it was genuinely productive. I don't think I need to be like endorsing everyone to go do drugs or anything, but like it was like just like genuinely productive time. And I was like, it kind of just did shift my headspace a little bit about it. And not that it wasn't any, you know, it wasn't any easier or had any more money the next day, but we did work out of it. 
I still say we every time I talk to someone because I'm making people think it's not just one person (laughs) doing all this stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And now I pay my bills. I pay my rent. I pay my insurance. I pay my employees, all the payroll taxes, uh, workers' comp insurance on that, rent at the kitchen, storage. That's all from the company. Like, all of it. That was the switch, which was kind of funny because I'm like, probably shouldn't even be telling this in a public setting, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not cutting this. That's okay. All deaths have the capacity to shatter us, to shatter our worldview. Caitlin didn't let the incident of the gunk shatter her, though. Instead, she took one big moment in her life and let it be part of this catalyst of change for her and in a lot of ways become a part of her. Caitlin had a choice. She could stay at a corporate job in fashion or give dank her all. She thought of herself in 20 years saying, remember that time I owned a banana bread company? And it just seemed like the more interesting path to take. You know, I really still look at every day as if, you know, anything can happen at any time. In two weeks, like, I could be dead. I don't know. It's not like I walk around with a shadow over my head or I'm freaked out by it at all. But when it comes time to making certain decisions, I mostly would just be like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. Because why not? I think a lot of the fear that came with messing up or things not working out went away because I saw what happens when you don't get a chance, like when you always think, oh, maybe I'll do it later, and then later doesn't exist. So like, why not just do it now? Being able to just feel like, yeah, let's try it. Like, I think I'd be happier to try and not make it than to just wonder if it would have worked forever. It can be difficult to pick up the phone and ask for help, but calling a PTSD hotline number is always free and confidential. If you or someone you know is dealing with a traumatic incident, consider speaking with someone about the treatment options available. If you experience suicidal thoughts during a PTSD episode and don't know who to talk to, call the toll-free 24-hour hotline of the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's one 800 273 to be connected to a trained counselor at a suicide crisis center nearest you. Even though I still have no idea what I'm doing, Things are happening. And if you'd like to help out and support this podcast, please check out patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, where you can sponsor us for as little as $1 per episode. It really helps keep this podcast going. And I'm so grateful for all of your help. Special shout out to Cameron McAlpine because he makes this thing sound good. You're listening to For the Love of Climbing podcast. A huge thank you to Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort. And a big thank you to Gnarly Nutrition for supporting this podcast and the messages that we share. Gnarly Nutrition supports a community of vulnerability and equality and tastes like a milkshake without all the crap. 
And a big shout out to Roaming Ingenuity, a team of outdoor enthusiasts and tinkerers based out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Support companies who support this podcast. We couldn't do it without them. If you liked what you heard, you can leave a review on iTunes or give us a like. Like all good things, you can find us on the internet. Until next time.